the pitch. Swing and a base hit to left center field. And Camellia's going to score. This game is over. On an RBI hit by Mickey Poole. Thanks for taking the time to download and listen to the Philadelphia Baseball Review Podcast. I'm Patrick Gordon, founder and executive editor of the Philadelphia Baseball Review. Our mission is to cover baseball at all levels throughout the Philly region, with a particular focus on promoting the amateur, high school, and college ranks. Our aim is to tell the untold baseball stories across the Quaker City. So please be sure to follow me on Twitter if you're not already at PGordonPBR. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever else you may be listening. Also, leave us a review. And be sure to visit PhiladelphiaBaseballReview.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. Now, let's get into today's show. All right, good evening. Joined here with uh, a guy that's been involved with the game of baseball several capacities now for over two decades. Currently doing some research for a book on uh, a local baseball legend. Dirk Baker, it's great to have you here this evening. Uh, Fight up for the talk. Huge uh, Philadelphia Phillies fan and... uh... Can't wait to talk about my subject, William Jethro Kid Gleason Jr. Now, Dirk, before we get into it, I have to ask with that accent, which I love, I love. That's uh, That sounds pretty Boston-like. Is that true? Now you know why I was unable to get into broadcast journalism, because my <laughs> professor at Boston University said I would never be able to be understood with my Boston accent. I'll tell you what, I love it, though. <laughs> oh, that's... Uh, yeah, I spent almost, uh, almost eight years in Boston, uh, so Red Sox Nation, no longer Patriots. Uh, I just can't seem to get rid of it. No, no. So, so you have a really extensive background and, and, and a really interesting um, you know, history with baseball. So to the listeners that may not know who Dirk Baker is, walk us through sort of your background with the sport, how you got involved. You've coached at different places. You're coaching now. You coached at Harvard. Um, you know, walk us through sort of how your love of baseball came about. Uh, I was lucky enough to grow up in a baseball town in Auburn, Massachusetts. Uh, very successful youth teams into high school. Then I got cut as a freshman at uh, Boston University, Division One program. And then, you know, I battled to just make the JV team and Platoon rode the bench, DH, and I was actually able to finish up in left field. And I hit a double off the Green Monster at Fenway Park my last year when we were playing games there. And um, I had an extra year from being cut, so I went to grad school. And my plan was to write for Sports Illustrated right after graduation. And I took a phys ed class, and the light switch went off, and I said, you know what? This teaching, coaching thing sounds pretty cool. Got the master's, kept going for the doctorate, and at that time I was actually coaching at Harvard and then back to Boston University, my alma mater. I've coached every type of level of baseball from Senior Bear Ruth, American Legion, Cape Cod Baseball League. I've been a college coach, published uh, numerous articles. Um, I've written five books. Mm Mm-hmm. And actually have five instructional videos on baseball. So I'm coaching it. I'm writing it. Um, I give clinics, camps. You know, I'm a lifer. Now, Zach, I before we get into um, you know the crux of this you know interview, we'll talk about your the history of Kid Gleason in particular, and and sort of um, you know how it ties to Philly. But one of the things, given your background, I really want to hear from you too. What sort of changes have you seen at the amateur baseball level, you know, since you've been involved the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years? Um, you know, we talk to a lot of the coaches in the Philadelphia area, and they go through some of the things you see here in Philadelphia and the changes, in particular at the high school level. Just curious, uh, from an outsider's perspective, what you're seeing, you know, even with clinics and things like that that you mentioned you run, what sort of changes have you seen, um, you know, over the last several years? And then, Tying into that, travel showcase teams and and things like that. Curious to hear your take on those. It's definitely pay to play now. You know, I mm-hmm. grew up. All the coaches were volunteer. Um, I had a I I grew up in a baseball town, and 
we did not have a batting cage in our town. I made a batting cage uh, out of junk, basically junk from the local dump. Um, and I hit uh, in my dirt cellar uh, and mm-hmm. going into my senior year. And I actually, they didn't keep state records, but I probably led the state in batting my senior year uh, for, you know, from hitting in my cellar all winter. Uh, but it's definitely pay to play. Uh, I definitely changed my tune. I'm actually doing a youth program now called the New England Roughnecks, and they are absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually have a workout at the Boston College Bubble tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Mm. All the kids will be there because we had one last weekend as well. And then after I'm done there, I'm going to be traveling south to the University of Rhode Island, and we're going to be practicing full scrimmage at URI for my college team. Um, the kids are the same. Yeah. Okay. The, it's the parents that have changed. These mm-hmm. unrealistic realizations of scholarships and major league dreams. Now, I'm all about kids fulfilling their dreams. I don't right. tell a kid no, but I give them sound advice. The programs that I just mentioned, and most, if you know, you can fundraise if you're, you know, a three decade kid, as I like to call it, from uh, Worcester, Mass, where you may not have the money. But, you know, kids are turning to basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to play. You just need two hoops and a ba- and a ball. You know, now you need all the equipment. Right. Um, and this NCAA, NIL, and the transfer portal, I think it's ruining college sports because I'm, I'm a big team guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll just give you an example. I'm in a Division three non-scholarship program at Salve Regina. Mm-hmm. We practiced yesterday for five hours. Today, we inner squad for five hours. The kids do field duty. They umpire. They have, they do all the charts, the radar guns. It's, it is so refreshing to see kids that absolutely love to be with their teammates outside, competing, getting better, uh, doing sound work in the classroom. And, you know, anybody that says you know, baseball's dying. They should come to one of my practices. They should come yeah. to my the workout tomorrow at the BC bubble and see how these kids just get after it. It's it's so refreshing. Yeah, no, it's it, you know, having worked myself a little bit in, in the amateur area, you know, a lot of it feels like parents sort of living vicariously through their children. And uh, you know, it's sad. And and you're right too with the money. You know, um, if you're not walking around with a $300 bat at the Little League complex, you know, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? And, uh, you know, the sad part is some of those children don't even know how to hold the bat properly, right? They don't even know how to swing or or, or what to swing at. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Trying to strike that balance, I think, with, um, you know, camps and clinics, but also making it so that as a parent, you're picking the right clinic, you know, and you're picking the right people to work with. Um, cause unfortunately you're right. There's a lot of, a lot of showcase teams, a lot of clinics, a lot of academies, I think out there that will just, uh, yeah, sure. You want to pay us? Uh, yeah, we'll take your money and, uh, you may not get a whole lot for it. I associate myself with not only the things that I do, but it all starts with, you know, loving the game of baseball and competing, mm-hmm. but have fun, learn something and get better. Right. And this program that I'm with now I mean, there's connections to the Red Sox, uh, Major League Scouts. Roger sure. Clemens is uh, going to be on a Zoom uh, with the entire organization in a couple weeks. Is the Red Sox connections, and uh, you know you can't get much better than that to having the Rock no. on with a with a pod, <laughs> a Zoom. So, no. but they stress, you know, fun, team, learn, and winning isn't even mentioned. And when you work hard, right. that that happens naturally. Right. Now, Dirk, I, I love talking about all the modern stuff and what's going on now, but I am curious, you know, the reason we're here tonight is to talk about some history. Um, so I am curious, how did your love of the history of baseball come into play and, and what sort of moment, you know, hit you where, you know, hey, this is something I want to get into. I want to look deeper into the, the history of the game what sort of triggered that for you? Great question. I was never a dead ball era reader. Right. It didn't interest me. Mm-hmm. 
I'm more from you know when I grew up, late '60s, '70s, '80s baseball. That you know that this week in babe this week in baseball with Mel Allen. Yep. Uh, uh, afternoon World Series games. Uh, but this is how it all began. So the 100th anniversary of the Black Sox scandal, 1919, happened in 2019. Mm-hmm. So all these documentaries, um, YouTube, a, lo- a lot of articles started coming out. And I knew about it. I dabbled in this, that, and the other thing. Mm-hmm. But then COVID hit. And when we all dealt with COVID, I literally got bugged out, zoned out as to TV, reading books. And I somehow got locked in to the Black Sox scandal. So I had read Eight Men Out. I had seen the movie, which is one of my favorite movies. I've mm-hmm. seen The Natural. I've seen Field of Dreams. And I, and I started, you know, checking this out. And I noticed that Kid Gleason, who's played by John Mahoney in Eight Men Out, he's like a main character in that movie. I said, who's Kid Gleason? So I, I kind of punched him up on Google and Wikipedia, and I mean, he's there. But he's there's, there's nothing. There's not a lot out there about that. Yeah. Like, wait a minute, who is this guy, Kid Glee? I, I had no idea he played twenty plus years in the bigs. I guess I knew he coached with the with the A's mm-hmm. uh, later on. But one of the greatest um, clubs in baseball history. He worked on the railroad. Um, this guy, Kid Gleason, performed virtually every job there is. Mm-hmm. As the following, he was a player. He was a switch hitter. He was a pitcher and a second baseman. My research has shown that he's played every position on a baseball field, but the question of catcher is a sticking point, and I'm still looking for that information about one game caught. But he did play in uh, amateur leagues in Camden before we did. So he actually caught in a baseball game. So you could say that he caught and played every position. He was a switch hitter. Right. He's got the Phillies record, 38 wins. It'll never mm-hmm. be broken. No. And then he became basically, because they didn't pick all-stars, he was basically an all-star second baseman for over 10 years and captain. He won a pennant as a player with the old Orioles. He's won a pennant, multiple pennants as a coach. He won the pennant with the White Sox. He was the strength and conditioning coach. He ran spring training. He was a contract negotiator. With guys that were kind of quote holding out, he mm-hmm. even represented clubs at the winter meetings. Um, he was a pitching instructor. He ran the infield. He did the base running. He was a first base coach, third base coach, uh, travel secretary. He did it all, mm-hmm. and I am telling you, I have exhausted myself with newspapers and books and websites and. YouTube's, I mean, not a heck of a lot of video exists from 1919. <laughs> no, little. There's never been a bad comment about this guy. Everybody loved Kid Gleason. I got a report that 10,000 people showed up to his funeral in 1933. Why is it that you think, Dirk, so little has been made of him? Um, you know, obviously, you know, baseball history, there's tons of books out there, tons of content. Why is Kid seemingly uh, falling through the cracks? Well, you stole the thunder. I was just about to blurb my. Phone. There you go. All right, we're in, we're we're in the same wavelength. You know the black socks. Okay, mm-hmm. they were they were black. They were evil, right? Well, yep. most baseball fans know that they didn't wash their uniforms. Right. So That's they were the called the black out. socks before the black socks, mm-hmm. and then just the name stuck. And that was all because of Charles Comiskey being yes. cheap. And I got some great nuggets about uh, meal money, and he actually charged the guys to to launder the uniform. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Oh Crazy. my god! They, he, he had to t- you had to pay to have your uniform major league player pay, but that, those were the days. Yeah, those were the, so anyway. So Kid Gleason wears this black hat, and the team is called the White Sox. People out there probably said, well, he had to have known. He didn't do anything about it. So he's tied in with the, you know, and then Buck Weaver. Mm-hmm. Never took a dime, but he was part of the, the the gauntlet. So even when rumors and hearsay 
Can you imagine? I say this: say could Gleason quit after after nineteen twenty because the you know mm-hmm. the Black Sox came back the next year and yeah, played. Then it, it went wasn't to court. until a year later that the trial. If he had quit, no one would have touched him. He was the Black Widow. No one would have touched him, and and the, and the White Sox were never going to win. They you, you lose eight of your players. Now Gandil had retired the first baseman, but still you know seven impact players. Fred McMullen was a sub, but he was still a starter on the 1917 World Series team. Mm-hmm. So the Black Sox scandal is connected with Kid Gleason. And if you would look at any snippet on the websites, it said, oh, he was the manager of the infamous team. The Bla- Wait a minute. His players stabbed him in the back. Right. Right? But that's what history does. Yeah. Look what they did to LBJ. Yeah. Look what they did to Jimmy Carter. Two right. incredible leaders – that history, well, and then he gets anything done, you know, circumstances, that, that, this, that, and the other thing. I am trying to put the white hat on Kid Gleason and take the black hat and, and stop with the Black Sox and to give this guy some pub for not only an amazing career, but when I was at the Hall of Fame, you know, I'm, try, I'm trying to get <coughs> Kid Gleason in the Baseball Hall of Fame. I don't know if mm-hmm. he's going to get in. And Larry Shank, longtime historian, Yep. With the Phillies, doesn't even think he's capable of getting on the Wall of Fame. And I disagree, but, you know, hey, <laughs> yeah, agree to disagree. The Wall of Fame brings up some uh, very unique yeah, that, that's uh, opinions a, and that's questions. a whole different yeah. podcast. So yes. my last point. So we had the anniversary. Um, Kid Gleason was a coach and a manager. I'm a coach and a manager, you know, a long time. And not to get into it, uh, but two years ago, something happened with my college team. Some kids got in trouble, and I took the axe because of it. Mm-hmm. And while this all the shenanigans was going down, I was asleep at bed. And basically the players lied. Mm-hmm. They covered it up. They stabbed me in the back. And I got the pink slip because of it. Right. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And see some similarities there. It's taken, uh, it's taken a while to get back on track. I'm a pretty confident guy. I work hard, and I got a positive outlook. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm I'm not doing the book because of what happened to me, right? But when you say, and I can, I know the feeling. They said Kid Gleason had the biggest heart in baseball and died of a broken one mm. because of what the skin, and he died of a heart attack. Yeah, 1933, and uh, the fact that. The Black Sox, you mentioned the books. They they got books on um, Happy Fell, Swede Reisberg, Sakati, Rothstein, the gambler, Comiskey. Very ironic that Lefty Williams, who I, uh, that's going to be my next book, hopefully, that I believe Lefty Williams, <coughs> the, the second pitcher, was very much involved right. um, in the. And what happened, and the three confessions that ended up getting stolen, you know, with Jackson, Williams, and Seacott, the, the confessions got stolen. Uh, no books on Gleason, no books on Lefty, and I find it very ironic. He is the manager of the team, and nothing's been done yeah. for over 100 years. Well, this is what I'm doing. I'm bringing it to light. Yeah, no, Dirk. I I really like what you're what you're doing here. Now I know we kind of became connected through your involvement with SABR. Can you talk a little bit about the Society of uh, American Baseball Research and how they have helped with this, you know, process and and with everything you're doing? I know you just recently were in the Hall of Fame, doing some research there for several days. Walk us through these steps that you're going to acquire this information. Everyone who's baseball knows Saber, Sabermetrician, Bill James, I mean, Moneyball, people know that. Yep. But I was never locked in because I was a baseball coach. Now, I have published articles. Uh, I've written books. I've done videos. But, I, you know, the Saber is the research. Well, I never was really doing research. I was doing instructional um, activities. Mm-hmm. So I jumped on a website. I paid my dues. I was going to go to Chicago. It would have been perfect if at the Sabre convention in July was in Chicago, and I would have been perfect, but I just couldn't swing it. And I'm going to say this, God honest truth. 
You could connect with anyone that's a pot of saber. I don't know how <coughs> how vast the membership list is, but from authors, um, you know, just fans, every single person that I've reached out to has responded to me. Dozens. Yeah. Sent me photos, links. Um, you know, the St. Louis Browns. Now, most mm-hmm. people remember them in the American League. Well, Gleason played for the Browns. He actually played in the first ever St. Louis Browns game in the National League. He pitched, okay. um, which is interesting. I found, like, the guy for the St. Louis Browns. Uh, I'm not sure where he lives. But he was funneling me articles that, you know, from newspapers that I thought I had done a pretty good job of uh, <laughs> looking at. He's he's pumping things left and <laughs> No one's ever asked me for. They've never asked for money. I got right. Jacob Pubrenke, the Black Sox historian, the guy, and he's proofreading one of my chapters for free. That's awesome. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's kind of. I'll, I'll say this: the Saber people. It's about the national pastime. Baseball's our national, past, but also you get history, you get research, but the debates. Yeah, you can debate, Kid Gleason. In the early days, you know, the dead ball before the live ball, Babe Ruth, they used a flat bat. Mm-hmm. Okay, and we can debate. Well, how can you say when Kid Gleason was using a flat bat, he couldn't have hit home any home runs? And a lot of right. these fields didn't even have fences. The crowd was the outfield was, fence. They were huddled around, right? <laughs> they played more doubleheaders back then. The travel was tough, tough. Oh, my good. But it's either that or go back to the mines back in the day. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the Sabre, whether you're a fan, a writer, an analyst. Great organization. It's an amazing yeah. organization. And, I, and I'm so glad. So in my transition from the coaching, I have just been locked in. And just like the ABCA, the American Baseball Coach Association, mm-hmm. I used to go to the convention every year. Uh, my... I actually I got the field built at Worcester State University, and we won the national uh, best maintained college field in the country in 2014. And they invited me to a five star dinner at the convention with the baseball commissioner handing me the crystal. I tell you, this game of baseball, like what you're doing with the podcast, anything's yeah. possible. Oh, it totally is, and. You know, what's so cool is you can kind of weave in and out of certain parts of it, right? You can work with the children. You can get involved at, you know, American Legion. You can do research. You can get involved in podcasting, writing. Uh, You know, it isn't just necessarily playing, and that's one of the great things about it. Because, you know, at some point for me, it was very early on, you know, high school, really. I realized, uh, you know, my life in the game as a player is done, you know. So it was sort of like, well, I enjoy writing baseball is in my blood what do i do and then i was able to kind of marriage the two together um so you're you're totally right with that so getting into some stats here for kid right so again he was a dual threat right he he pitched but he played also um second base and that wasn't that uncommon when you're talking about players back in the 1800s um, and into the early 1900s. But stats-wise, so we spent 10 seasons as a, as a player. We're talking just Philadelphia here, right? So 10 seasons, uh, nearly 800 games, OPS plus of 80, hit 246 with just two homers. Now, again, it's a different era, so we need to take that into consideration. And this is just his Philadelphia numbers. Can you put those in perspective, though? Um, you know, from an offensive standpoint, yeah, it, it seemed to be sort of a slap hitter, um, but that's kind of what was around then, right? I have a statistical comparison to Kid Gleason and Bill Mazeroski, Hall of Fame third base mm-hmm. Pirates. Pretty similar. Yeah. I have also done it with Johnny Evers of the Evers to Tinker to Chance. Yep. Cubs. And they actually coach together. I've done comparisons as a two way player. As a pitcher and a position player with John Montgomery Ward, you know, legend. And even with the Babe Giants, Ruth. right? Excuse me? Was Ward with the Giants? I think he played before, might have been the Highlanders. Okay. Uh, I knew it was a New York team. Yeah. They had, 
some great names, the Brooklyn the, Superbas, and <laughs> they had some great names. Bridesgrooms in Brooklyn. Yeah, the bridesgrooms, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so again, Kid was never great at one thing. He was good at a lot of things. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I say it. That's a good way. So his numbers, uh, and I'll, again, he was a pitcher from 1888 to 1894. Mm-hmm. And don't quote me, but I have, I believe he started five straight opening days like he he was he was the ace of the Phillies and then he got traded or sold or whatever they call it to the St. Louis Browns of the National League and they had actually been a juggernaut just a few years prior and then he became their ace but then he started having some battles with this crazy owner Chris Vonderair um and you know he had a ton of fines he got in a drunken brawl and I think it was time for a change of scenery, mm-hmm. and he landed with the Baltimore Orioles of the National League, Okay, which many historians regard as one of the greatest dynasties in baseball history. He yep. played there 94-95. Now, from all the games that he pitched, and back then, if you pitched, you finished. Mm-hmm. Uh, no relievers. back on short rest. Staffs did not have staffs like they have today, so these guys, their arms would just fall off. But they, they right. did it. That was their... That was their meal ticket. That's how they made their money. So his arm was killing him in 94, even though he went 15-5 and five in a split season with the Orioles. And just by chance, the starting second baseman of the Orioles, Heine Reitz, hurt his shoulder, <coughs> and because Kidd was versatile, jumped into second base, and they won the pennant again. I mean, it's, it's incredible. He went from a, the ace pitcher to the starting second baseman and a contributor. He hit 300. For the pennant-winning team. Mm-hmm. And then after 95, because Reitz came back healthy, um, he got sent to the Giants and became their captain. He was he became captain before he even played a game with the Giants. I mean, the New York Giants. Played there five years. And then he went to Detroit. Uh, he was part of the greatest uh, Major League Baseball comeback in history. He had a 10-run bottom-of-the-ninth victory. In the first game of Detroit Tigers history, Kidd was part of that. Uh, he played there two years, and if they had All-Stars, probably would have would have been an All-Star in Detroit in the American League, which was newly formed. Mm-hmm. And then he came back to the Phillies as a second baseman. His last year as a regular was 1906. Played a bunch of games in 07, and then not only did he lose his job to Otto Nabe, Nab, I don't know the pronunciation. K-N-A-B-A. I don't either, but I know who right. you're talking about. And Kid coached the, him up. He yeah. just lost his job, but Kid goes, I'm a team guy. He's better, play him, and I'm going to make him into an all-star. So by 08, he only played in a couple games. He was kind of like a, you know, now a coach, and he stayed with the Phillies to 11, went to the White Sox in 12, and then, you know, he battled with Comiskey, uh, not the first guy to battle with Comiskey. No. But he was basically a coach there until um, 1917. He took 1918 off. Now, you imagine he just won the World Series with the White Sox. Mm-hmm. But Kid felt slighted that he didn't get a raise in salary. So he booted and didn't coach. And the White Sox went woo, right mm-hmm. down. And Comiskey said, wow, I had a blunder. I'm going to bring this guy back. And then they win the pennant in 19. They they should have won the pennant in 20 until the uh, revelations of the scandal hit at the end of the season. And then it was just all downhill from there. And he took a couple years off. And Connie Mack saw him at a World Series and said, hey, kid, why don't you come coach? Because he was in Philly, living in Philly. And he stayed there until 1931. They won three straight pennant, two World Series. And this was the year, these were the times of the Murderers Row Yankees. Yeah. And can you imagine if Kid Glee, if this scandal didn't happen in the American League, you would have had the White Sox, who were basically in their prime, except for Seacott, who was at the end. You would have had the White Sox in their prime, the Yankees in their prime, and then the A's coming on towards. Wow. Yeah. Uh, give me the time machine. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. I mean, that 1929 A's team, I've done a lot of research. They get no, they get no love. They get no love. They don't. Um, you know, it's it's a shame. I even you know, even if you compare the 29 team to the 31 team 
Um, you know, the 31 team, uh, you know, was good, but 29 was just, I, I think, so much better. How did they lose to the Cardinals in 31? I, <laughs> I mean, it's such a shame, too. You look back at Connie Mack and, and his stretch and, and how he put together, you know, the two dynasties and then just everything else, how it would fall apart for him. Um, to have that team and not win the World Series, um, you know, it's just unfortunate. But now from a pitching perspective with Gleason, right? So, again, this is just his Philadelphia stats. So this was looking at fan graphs. And so you know, for those in the know, fan graphs and baseball reference, and if you look at war, you know, you're going to get five different numbers from five different places, and they're not going to be far off, but they're a little different. Um, and I looked just at pitchers from 1883 – to 1950, because once you start adding in, you know, the Kurt Schillings and and Aaron Nolas and, and comparing them to players from the 1880s, I think you kind of lose something there. Probably do going up to 1950 too, but either way. Um, so just from Phillies pitchers, 1883 to 1950, Gleason ranks f- eighth with 14.2 WAR. Um, looking at it also here, um, eighth in wins with 78. Again, a little bit of a different, you know, you can't really compare pitchers from that day because they would pitch, if not every day, every other day versus the, you know, four man staffs that you started to see coming on. But he was a better pitcher than offensive player. Would that be a correct assumption? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he only played one year in the minors. Now, there's some conflicting reports from, I mean, we're talking Civil War time. Yeah, on uh, whether or not he actually started in 1886, but he he definitely played in the minors in 1887, and believe it or not, in 1888 he started the Philadelphia City Series against the A's. Mm-hmm. His first his first major league game was against the A's, um, so they just they thrust him and he was the opening day starter that year, right. and he became yeah. the ace. It, it 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 either they didn't have a lot of quality guys and this was also the time of the players league and guys coming and going and right. stealing players and that you know that's how the pirates got their nickname because they were stealing players mm-hmm. um i think gleason if gleason was healthy he would have continued to pitch but they burned him out as they did most well, i mean you know walter johnson cy young i mean whatever so right i think he was accommodating he was well rounded he was an athletic guy. He kept in shape, and he lucked out. Okay, would he have become a second baseman with the St. Louis Browns? We'll never know. Yeah, but he had a great manager in Ned Halen in Baltimore. He saw his value. He played, um, and then again, it's you know, what have you done for me lately? They just won the pennant, back to back pennant, and then they ship him off to New York. However, that that was the best thing that could have happened to Gleason. Because he probably wouldn't have started for Baltimore. Right. He became captain and a leading player uh, with the Giants. And then he uh, ended his career where it began. Um, but you you could basically say Gleason was the on-field leader. He's credited with the first ever intentional walk with the bases loaded. Where <laughs> the bases were loaded and their best player on the other team, right. Chicago Colts, not the Cubs, the Colts, he said, walk this guy. I mean, not the manager. He went to the mound as a second. He said, walk this guy. The pitcher's like, what? So he walks him in, run scores. A weak hitter's coming up. They get him out. They win the game. And, and you know, he was like a manager, you know, on the field, dirt dog. That's when guys used to file their spikes and he, mm-hmm. guard the bag with his life. Um, now, I'll say this, though. Know his numbers. Um, now, back in kids' day, um, if you drew a walk, that helped your batting average. Mm-hmm. Okay? Clint Gleason didn't hit 400 like Napoleon Lajouet or Ty Cobb or Harry Heimlin or Roger. He didn't ever hit 400. But he played basically every game. Mm-hmm. He was there. You could just rely on this guy. He he's like Cal Ripken. He 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 would be there, and he lasted twenty seasons. He must yeah. have been pretty good to have on a club to last twenty seasons as an everyday player, and then and as I said, nineteen oh eight, 
He only played in a couple games, but technically he was a season. And then in 1912, as a coach with the White Sox, um, Maury Rath got tossed out of the game, and kid went in to second base and got a hit. <laughs> he was 46 years old, and then stole second. Yeah. That's amazing. It's just absolutely amazing. You well, know, Minnie Minoso uh, type of guy. Uh, so yeah, it, and this is this whole saber thing about comparing, and this, and 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 what I'll do is I have this, you know, comparison of guys right. in his time that are in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. and you know, it's up to the the reader to make their own judgment. You know how great he was, but can you imagine Andy Pettit for the Yankees, right. as great as he was? Mm-hmm. Then jumping and and changing to second base and becoming basically an all star. It just it, yeah, it doesn't it blows doesn't the mind. It blows now. your mind. Yeah. Um, and then he he continued with the coaching and the managing and all said, and he probably would have coached 10, 15 more years if he hadn't died of the heart attack. So he got screwed on the the Black Sox, and then he had the heart problem. Um, but you can't hey, listen. That that's. You know, like you know, Bill Parcells always said, "Stats don't lie." No, you're right. They, well, stats say who you are. <laughs> Talking of stats, and again, just looking at Philadelphia here, 1890 for him, um, 506 innings pitched, oh. fifth Amazing. in the league in ERA, 2.63, second in wins with 38. Again, second, <laughs> second. Sec- yeah, second with 38. But that 506 innings pitch just stands out at you, you know. Um, and he would also fill in, yeah, in positions if if needed. Yeah, I mean, man. Now, looking at him and Connie Mack, right? You you think about the 29, 30, 31 A's and and just how good they were. Um, you know, it's forgotten about that with Connie Mack. You also had Ty Cobb. Uh, you know, as a, a player and coach with that team, and Eddie Collins, and Eddie Collins. What do, from your research? What have you gathered about how the four of those guys work together? Um, can you imagine sitting at a dinner downtown Philadelphia after a game or something, and what they talked about? I mean, they called it the, them the board of strategy. <laughs> and the then, board of strategy. how about the players? Mickey Cochran, Jimmy uh-huh. Fox, Al Simmons, Lefty Grove. Yep. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Those no, those talks, those talks went on all night. I can yeah. guarantee you that. And you know, maybe and another part of my research because I'm a journalist, I major in journalism. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really giving hype to the sports writers of that time period. Mm-hmm. This guy Arthur Bugs Bear, Grantland Rice. Um, there was a gambling newspaper called Collier's Eye. It was like the National Enquirer of the day. Um, you know, forgotten, forgotten in time. And I'm trying to give history of Kid Gleason, of the forgotten Philadelphia A's, you know, Connie Mack's second juggernaut, mm-hmm. but then he had to sell it off like Charlie Finley did with the Oakland A's. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I'm learning. You know, I'm a lifelong learner. I'm, a, I'm an educator. And, um. You know, the, the St. Louis Browns, uh, but they don't exist anymore. And some of these old-time teams, there's a book of Ebbets Field. There's a book about Ebbets Field. Mm-hmm. The opening line, the opening paragraph to the book talks about the old-time players that used to come to Ebbets Field. Now, you think about all the great yeah. National Leaguers that went to Ebbets Field. Kid Gleason is mentioned. Kid mm-hmm. He's he's smack dab in the middle of a book called you know greatest managers of all time. His picture's right in the middle, mm. and this guy never he never won the World Series. He only managed five years, so yeah. maybe somebody's you know uh, tickling the urge. Um, but everyone that I've talked to loves the idea because they want to know more about. Uh, Kid Gleason, because when I sent them these chapters to yeah. proofread and edit, they all say, well, can you send me another one? Can you send me the <laughs> chapter before this? And I say, whoa, 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 time out, time out. I'm you got to wait a little bit. Wait a little bit. What are they, now, you keep the tiger hungry, right? <laughs> now, I know you said in a, in a previous podcast, you spoke with uh, Larry Shank, and 
you know, I met Larry several times over the years. Uh, Philly's historian, done great work with the organization for a long, long time. And you brought up the idea about how the organization could potentially, you know, maybe the Wall of Fame or do something for Kit Gleason. And if I heard correctly, it was sort of a flat out, nah, not going to happen. Can you talk a little bit about that conversation and and why do you think maybe the organization is, um, you know, so kind of adamant that now this isn't something we want to get into? Do you think it's because of his connection with 1919? Oh, I I, I never thought about that. But I give kudos to Larry. He responded to me. He's in a nursing Mm -hmm. home. Yeah. Um, But, he, you know, 50 years with the Phillies. And who who knows more about the Phillies than Larry Shane? Absolutely. I believe that the Phillies either don't have the records, the school books, mm-hmm. the programs, the tick. You know, I don't think they have the records of the early days. Now, the Phillies, aren't they the oldest team? One of the old, and them and the Reds, aren't they yeah. one of the most uh, oldest teams in, Amer- in world sports. Um, and I have a note that says that they have the longest continuous name. Yep. Uh, right, the Phillies? Correct. It's, yep. it's stuck um, yep. throughout time. Kid Gleason's not even on their website as a coach. They list all the coaches ever. Yeah. He's not even listed. How can that be? He was there three years. Well, hold on. Whether was they don't the want Phillies? to admit it, right? Was they don't the want Phi- to admit it. Or right. maybe because the Phillies weren't, quote, great back then. Right. But then again, when was the first time the Phillies won the World Series? 1915. Well, 1915, they lost. 1980. 1980. Yeah. So you think you might want to kind of backtrack and remember the the glory days of maybe so, so, what started it all? Right. And then so, obviously Philadelphia had another team, the A's. Yeah. And the A's are gone. So Philadelphia baseball right now are the Phillies. So I, I, I'm going to have a ton of stuff. I'm going to have a ton of stuff on Kid Gleason. I'm going to have a ton of stuff on the Phillies, the A's. Um, Get ready. No, <laughs> I love what it. is in now. No, I love it. Well, so then Kid coached with the A's, but you're saying he also did with the Phillies as well in an official capacity? Yes, yes. Okay. And yeah. I was trying to find out if he was actually the first full-time coach in the National League. Okay. Was it, quote, full-time because he was a player at the same right. time? So in 07, he only played in a couple games, but he, he was there, and he I told you, he, he worked with the second baseman, Otto. Right, yeah. And in 08, he was basically a coach, and he stuck on until 11, and there was a manager change. And because of his loyalty, right? when his buddy Billy Murray, Murray left, he went with him. All right? He went with him. It would be interesting. I don't have the facts of how he had the connection with Comiskey and the White Sox. Maybe he had... Maybe Kid Gleason had made such an impression with the people in Philly uh, because Kid Gleason had uh, managerial jobs offered not only in the Players League, which he turned down to be mm-hmm. loyal to Comiskey, and then Comiskey fired him. Uh, but he had um, minor league jobs down in Jersey, you know, and home. So he was even in 08, he was wanted. He was actually wanted by the Yankees as mm-hmm. a manager. And then in 23, um, after he, quote, retired, some people say he got fired. Uh, Clark Griffith, the senators, called him up. But, you mm-hmm. know, his health was right. was going down. So he was a commodity. He was wanted. And what? I even have just the type of guy Kid Gleason is. is uh, Griffith, I just mentioned, they were playing, the senators. And he uh, had a first baseman. And he asked Kid Gleason to work with him around the bag, and Kid did. And this is their opponent. This is, but this is just Kid Gleason, right? <laughs> if he, you know, if there was a brawl in the field, or you know, the the called the goat getting, they 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 left it on the field. Yeah. They left it on the field, and I have a probably five to ten uh, stories of Kid Gleason getting a brouhaha, and then later the. His opponent would come up and apologize, and then they would go out to dinner. I mean, it's, wow. it's just amazing. One of the things I'm curious, and, and I've done a ton of research on um, early black baseball and Negro baseball in Philadelphia, 
Um, so you're talking about the Philadelphia Giants, and then you get into Hilldale, and then the Philly Stars. Um, I'm curious always, uh, you know, one of the things that Connie Mack would do is, and this was more so in the 20s, uh, would have his A's play, um, you know, the, the Giants and or Hilldale, because uh, the Giants kind of were done by 1915-ish around there. Any records that you've come across with kid involved in exhibition games with any Negro League teams, is that something you've seen or come across? Box scores, anything like that? There's a when, – when you go into the St. Louis Browns history, mm-hmm. there is a exhibition against the Cuban Giants. Now, Kid Gleason wasn't even in Major League Baseball when this happened, but Bill Gleason is mentioned. Mm-hmm. No relation. He was the shortstop for the Browns. But, quote – Kid's name appears in some of these recaps mm-hmm. that the players were not going to play the Cuban Giants. Now, they weren't Cuban. They were all blacks. Sure. Okay? Yep. And there was a petition, and Comiskey was actually the manager of the St. Louis Browns at the time, and the game never happened. And Kid Gleason is somehow tied into this racial you know, protest of not playing against blacks. <laughs> and, I'm tr- and I'm saying he wasn't even in- around at that time. <laughs> But when Ray Schalk uh, came up with the White Sox, Gleason brought him down to the Negro Leagues team in Chicago and worked with one of the guys with the, the Negro who was known as just the catcher, okay, just right. to work on his defense. And, you know, Chicago is just hotbed, you know. Yeah. Uh, Boston, Philly, New York, Chicago, St. Louis. Yeah. Uh, just hotbeds of baseball. So, I mean, Kid Gleason knew everybody. He knew Babe Ruth. Yeah, he was friends with Ty Cobb. Yeah, he's a picture of Mountain Landis with his arm around him. John McGraw was his teammate. He was a teammate of Christy Mathewson, Grover Cleveland, Alexander. Uh, I have a note. Fort, he was personally associated with forty-one future Hall of Famers. Wow, forty-one, and so many of you know he he made Buck Weaver into a player. He made Schalke into a player. He. Uh, when Seacott left the Red Sox, he brought him over to the White Sox, and he almost won 30 games. I mean, it's just story after story after story. It's like, I credit Clint Gleason. Clint Gleason's the man. He, hit, he hits the best fungos. He'll do anything for anybody. He'll give you money. He'll take you out to dinner. Um, but he was tough. He was a disciplinarian. Um, There's a story that in spring training, he would run to the field five miles. Hmm run to the field and walk halfway back, whatever. What I mean, this just amazing. I mean, he probably drove the, quote, bus if buses existed back then, and they all took the trains. Um, so, yeah, yeah he's uh, uh, quite a character, but I need to go to Chicago and see his witness testimony from the Black Sox trial because from the Eight Men Out movie, he, the famous line is, you know, what do you think of your players now? And he goes, they're the greatest ball club ever, period. You know, I actually, I need to find out if he actually said that, which is a classic line. And Absolutely. Kid Gleason went to his grave by never throwing his guys under the bus. Yeah. I mean, you talk about loyalty. Yeah. Right? It's like if your kid crashes the car, he's still your kid, right? I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to disown him. Throw, I mean, he's your kid. You got to. Not mine anymore. Love him. He, <laughs> right. They make mistakes. Yeah. Right. But, you know, he. They were Gleason's boys. They were his guys. And, th- and that's probably why it ruined them that the guys would do this. Well, but listen, everybody knows that gambling was out of control back then. Sure. Eight, the 1918 World Series may or may not been fixed. The 1917 World Series could have been fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's also talk that the, the Sox uh, have paid off some of the Detroit Tigers in 1917 to – Lally gag in a, a, a series so they could win the pennant. So was their 19, I mean, you know, tainted, right? Yeah. Asterisk type of things. But, it, you know, where's the evidence? Sure. Um, the, the, the famous Harry Grabiner diary that Bill Vex's nephew found in the cellar of old Comiskey Park. No one knows where the diary is now. It's missing. Like the tell-all of those years with, he kept the diary. No one knows. I mean, did any of the Black Sox keep a diary? Right. Joe Jackson's wife, Katie, kept a scrapbook. I've I've scoured that. I've, I've talked to the people down at the Black Betsy uh, 
Shields Joe Jackson Hall of Fame. And did any of those players keep a diary? Did any of the wives? Did the Bat mm. Boy? Did he? There's got to be something out there about the, you know, why they did right. it, how much did they really make? Sure. You know, and and the history keep changing. That Ch- Comiskey was paying his guys just like the other owners. Right. All the owners were cheapskates. Right. It's they, fun. The yeah. famous quote that he paid his players the same as an, a nine to five worker. Oh my god! Major it's, league players being paid just like yeah. the rest of the laborers. Wow. Well, it's funny you bring Bill Veck into it because um, I mean, no surprise that some goofiness could be going on there. I know I've always tried to find out. I think it was 1942 when he. Um, Later on in his life, alleged that he was going to uh, break the color barrier by bringing a, a handful of Negroly players to the Phillies, um, and then that all kind of fell apart. And but he didn't talk about it at that point. Apparently, didn't bring it up until I think the sixties or seventies that that was his plan. Um, I've always tried to get yeah, more into that. He would have been the that. branch rookie, definitely. Yeah. yeah, and then Major League Baseball blacklisted him. They didn't yep. allow him the sale of the team. Right. They gave it to another guy. Yeah. yeah. Because I said it's not going to happen, and you know how do you put Comiskey, who covered up the affair, he covered it up mm-hmm. to save his own skin. How do you keep Comiskey in the Hall of Fame? How do you keep Landis in the Hall of Fame? He didn't yeah. allow blacks to play. They took now, his name off the MVP award. The Hall of Fame, I think, there's a lot of questionable stuff that goes on there anymore. Um, you know, and people talk. Um, you know, a recent Philadelphia writer talked about the character clause, and that's why he wasn't yes. voting for somebody. Um, you know, and I can understand that to an extent, but if we were to go through, you know, the halls of Cooperstown and who cheated on their wife, who did some things that they shouldn't have, who, who was racist, right? Like we would end up taking a lot of players out. You got that right. You know, I don't know. I don't have the answer for it. And to be honest, I'm not even sure if the writers should be the ones voting for it at this point. Um, I mean, just look at Ty Cobb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a, a terrible human being. Right, great baseball right. player, but can you imagine? I mean, it's you. We talked a little bit, I think, before we went live here about Roger Clemens. It's sort of the same with Roger, you know, um, you know, with the steroids and some other stuff, and and Barry Bonds in there, and you know, Alex Rodriguez, and you know, I, I don't know. It's the the Hall of Fame sort of a mess right now. Um, last thing I have for you, Dirk. So I know in one of the previous articles I was reading. Um, about your research, Harry Davis came up as yeah. a name. Oh, what a story. <laughs> Do you mind kind of sharing that story? Yeah, I'll, 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 I won't, I'll. So anyway, I'm at the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. And I there's two displays of Kid Gleason's uniform, equipment, hat, stirrups, whatever. So they, they gave me a tour. I took pictures. And I looked at the tag that said, Loaned by Harry A. Davis III. Now, that name didn't mean anything to me. Sure. That night, I'm in my hotel room. This guy, Dan Trollio, he's a Saberite from Philly, went mm-hmm. to Kid Gleason's. He's doing he's editing one of my chapters. He went to Kid Gleason's website on his own and took a picture of the gravestone. Now I had a picture of the gravestone from Find a Grave, but they didn't have the ground. I had the elevated stone. And there it says Harry A. Davis Jr. I said, You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. The same day, like 24 hours. Now the Hall of Fame had told me they don't keep records of anybody who donates trinkets to the Hall of Fame. Right. So I thought it was a dead end. Dan Trollio sent me so I get out the you know the white pages online and I'm looking for Harry A. Davis, but the third, that's the key, the third. I think I found three of them in the Philly area. So I wrote handwritten letters to all three. Few weeks go by. Harry A. Davis the third calls me up. Wow! I said, "Are you the guy?" He goes, "I'm the guy." I <laughs> talked to him two nights ago. I, I mean, I'm blown away. Sure, he's got a safe deposit box with basically an equipment trunk from Kid Gleese. He hasn't looked at it in for years. Wow! He's related to Mammy Rob Gleason's stepdaughter, who was the birth daughter of his wife Annie. So I have one little blurb that Kid Gleason and Annie had a child that died in infancy. So we, I, we don't, I don't have any information that he actually had offspring, but he had a stepdaughter. 
this Mammy Rob, who married a Charles Rob, whose actually name is on the Gleason tombstone. So Harry Davis is connected. So I, you know, when I come to Philly, uh, I'm I'm taking Harry Davis the third out to dinner. I, I've connected with a Joseph L. Grimm, mm-hmm. who's related to um, kid's brother Harry, who played in the big leagues. And I've also spoken to a Chris Gleason, who says he has boxes of stuff of the family slash history tr- family tree, but he's deployed overseas. So mm. when he comes yeah. back, he's going to hopefully find this. And Dana Nightingale Gleason, um, another part of the, the family connection, um, she's proofreading a chapter. So I have connected. That's awesome. Uh, that's been my biggest thing with the podcast and whatever is who there's got to be Gleasons out there. I mean, it was a big family. Uh, his wife Annie had a big family. I've tried. I'm pretty close to finishing the family tree, but mm-hmm. I have to be spot on. Yeah. And because, yeah. like you said, 150 years ago things kind of change. Sure. Um, was it junior? Was it senior? Was it Bill? Was it William? I mean. Uh, so I'm 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 putting together a uh, a scrapbook of history, and I called the Hall of Fame. I was so excited. I found Harry Davis, and they're like, "All right, all right." But in the conversation, um, this guy Bill Francis, tremendous guy over there, we were talking about you know Kid Gleason for the Hall of Fame, and he goes, "Hey, you should nominate him for the Buck O'Neill Award." Mm. And you just mentioned character, so Buck O'Neill was. Great, yeah. You know the Ken Burns baseball Negro leagues, just amazing human being. He's perfect. He is Kid Gleason is absolutely perfect. So if I can not, and it happens every three years, um, for the Buck O'Neill Award, I'll be nominating him, and I also nominated Kid for the Saber Classic Era, nineteenth century dead ball. Um, and we'll you know we'll kind of see. Uh, where that takes, and they have an award presented at the annual convention. We'll see what happens. I, I think kids a he's a shoo-in. I mean, he, he, yeah. the guy did it all. Switch hitter, position player, coach, manager. He did. And just the fact that of he's a uh, character, pioneer, team guy, loyal, taught the game. And uh, even after, I mean, Gleason only played a few years in St. Louis, but I found an article from like 1940 <coughs> that they named youth teams in St. Louis after famous players, and there was a Gleason team. So he must have been pretty good in St. Louis yeah. as a baseball player if they're naming um, teams after uh, Frankie Frisch and Ennis Slaughter and you know famous guys from the Gas House Gang. So yeah, I'm, I'm finding stuff out every day uh, about this. Uh, I'm getting emails and texts every other day from people maybe I haven't spoke to in a couple months and they say, hey, I found this. I found this photo. Uh, I found a great photo of the uh, red, white, and blue White Sox emblem from the war years. Mm-hmm. They didn't wear it all the time. Um, you know, Kid Gleason wore his hat on the side because they call it his pug mentality. <laughs> and I got a picture of Christy Matthewson with his hat off to the side. So I'm wondering, did Christy Matthewson wear his hat? Because the kid Gleason, kid, or yeah. was it just laziness? I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was a style back then. Uh, <laughs> and you know, Gleason saw it all. He saw the the plague. He saw end of the Civil War. Not he didn't see it, but he was born with the Civil War. He saw the stock market crash, the Depression, uh, World War One, mm. and and this yeah. is when baseball, you know, baseball was becoming the national pastime. And then when Babe Ruth burst burst the bubble, and then it became the Roaring Twenties, um, and Kid Gleason was right in the mix. I love it. I am curious, going back to the Harry Davis, if that person that you're talking to is related to the Harry Davis that played with the A's, that overlapped the same time with Kid, um, at least being in Philadelphia, because there's a Harry Davis looking up now, uh, born in Philly, died in '47. He's buried in uh, Bell Kingwood, which is a suburb of Philly. Just wonder how close Kid and Harry probably were. Because, I mean, their paths definitely crossed. 
So I will be sending a message. Very curious. The second I get off the podcast. Very he, curious. I, I, I think he would have mentioned it to me, but hey. I mean, uh, what are the odds that uh, Harry Davis hey, here, Harry Davis? This was a I Harry- believe in luck. I believe in luck. <laughs> Gleason was Irish. I believe in the four leaf clover. There you go. This is a Harry H. Davis. But uh, so I wanted to mention the fight yeah. fills. Whiz kids. Mm-hmm. I can't find any proof. Um, the fighting feels kind of started happening after Gleason had left the Phillies mm-hmm. in the first decade, but this guy was a scrapper. So uh, the yeah. fighting fills a connection to Kid Gleason. But you asked me my favorite Phillies team, and I have the book hands down ninety three, Schilling. Oh yeah, Dykstra, Dalton. Yeah. Um, and and how I compare the teams, right? No Hall of Famers. On the 93 team, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Old school manager, Jim Fergosi with the big char of tobacco, right? Yeah, Scraggly. Yeah. J- J- John Cruck at first, Crucky. Uh-huh. He's not a baseball – I'm not an athlete. I'm a baseball player. Did those guys play hot? Oh, they absolutely did. Great. That's why the city loved them so much. So fights, tobacco, unshaven, characters, competitive, team. Yeah. Right? Scrappy. I loved – that team. Now, yeah. I was a big Dykstra fan, you know, when he was with the Mets. Uh, Eisenreich had that, that medical condition. Yeah. And he, yep. you know, he just. Tourette. Well, you talk about a perfect team to fit. He goes, listen, we all have faults. Like, do your thing. You know, Dave if you're Holland, having a bad day, we'll, we'll pick you up. Dave Holland's at third base and call him Oh, Dahmer. my. You, know, you talk about tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then the, the captain of that team, basically, Darren Dalton, I mean, who. You know, the stories about what he would say to people in the clubhouse. And if you just you didn't hustle down the first base line or something, you were gonna hear it not just from Frogosi, but you were gonna hear it from Dutch in, in the in the clubhouse. And uh, I when people ask me the greatest leaders in team sports history, mm-hmm. I'll mention Magic Johnson, Wayne Gretzky, yeah. Derek Jeter. But Dalton's in the conversation. Yeah, he absolutely has to be. And he's the he character in Major League, no doubt, right? Mm-hmm. Catcher? Tom Bell. Oh, I, I believe that 110%. He, and nobody ran on Dutch. He had no arm, but no one ran on him. It's amazing. No. no. It's so funny. I was doing some research the other day and came across the pictures of him in the Marlins jersey. I think he was there for such a short period of time. It just looks so odd to see him not in, in the Phillies pinstripes. You know, now you talk about black socks, like they didn't u- wash their uniforms. The Phillies would have been perfect. Yeah, that 93 right? team. Yeah, they, uh, you know, even today, I mean, yeah, we have uh, 80, obviously, in 2008. And, uh, you know, the team arguably in 2011 was the best of all time in, in the Phillies franchise. Yep. Oh, yeah. Uh, with the starting pitching them. But that 93 team will always hold a special spot, um, you know, just with, with that mentality and the way they went about their business. But And you got the fanatic. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, uh, yeah, he's he uh, brings the smiles all the time. Derek, it's been a it's been a real pleasure catching up with you here and, and talking about uh, baseball history, your involvement with the sport, what you're doing. Um, I love that you are so multifaceted. That you're coaching, you're working with the youth, you're doing this research. In some ways, it kind of sounds like everything that I do. So maybe that's why I'm enjoying it so much. But I really wish you the best with this book. When for the people listening, right, when can they start to look for it? Where can they get more information about you? Kind of promote yourself a little bit, if you will, here. Where can they get uh, more info about you? When I did my doctoral dissertation at Bosch University, they prepped us by saying it's going to be a year of research, a year to write it, and then you go in front of the committee in the oral presentation, your oral exam. So it's like two and a half, three years. Mm-hmm. I look at books that I've written because I'm not a full-time writer, so I can't do it all all day, all night, you know, sure. like Stephen King or whatever. So I am so passionate about this subject that I had a goal when I started this last November. Oh, a year ago, November. So already into year plus that I was going to hopefully have a contract because I've now into my third edit. So it's getting close to a final version. So I'm still looking for that publisher. And I know that I have an incredible story to tell, 
that I'll find somebody because there's no, there's no, there are no books on Kid Gleason. He's a fascinating character. So if you're looking, even if I have to self-publish it or have it self-published through Saber, I will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to go on the speaking tour. I want to get into the little leagues and the fans and his stomping grounds, which I still have to visit. So I will probably have, um, you know, Twitter. I'll probably mm-hmm. have to force myself to get the Twitter and, <laughs> and do the announcement. Maybe I have to get a an unpaid agent uh, to promote myself because I'm, you know, I'm just a writer. I'm, sure. I'm a fan. So soon, uh, when I say I'm going to do something, I you almost I've never quit anything in my life. So I'm going to finish this. And the other thing I have, I mentioned about highlighting the writers from back in the day, uh, but maybe some unknown players, but also the photos. I, I have exhausted the websites and the books and the newspapers. I have awesome recollections of Kid Gleason, mm-hmm. of, of, quote, bringing you back to that time. You know, Civil War, World War I, um, Depression. And I know, uh, I know publishers don't like the photos because it costs extra to print. But I love scrapbooks, and I think the photos that I have are going to, you know, highlight, put the icing on the cake type thing um, to bring Kid Gleason uh, back to life. Because all we know, all we know is Kid Gleason from the movie Eight Men Out. Mm-hmm. He's the Black Sox manager. And after you read this book, you're going to be scratching your head and say, wow. This guy might be a Hall of Famer. I love it, Dirk. You, uh, you're doing an incredible job. And going forward, anything I can do uh, to assist, I really want to. So I really appreciate you taking the time here tonight. And uh, you know, moving forward, we're we're rooting for you. Um, you know, again, a Philadelphia legend here. I mean, from right over the bridge in Camden, um, this guy Kid Gleason is definitely deserving of more more of our attention. So again, Derek, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on the podcast tonight. You get the first signed copy. (laughs) I love it. Thank Thank you, Derek. Derek.